I've changed my makeup. Did you notice? Hello and welcome to the new season of Something Rotten. Blake Hester and I are here and we are so excited to talk about some weirdo games by a weirdo man named Goichi Suda. Blake, you texted me that you are Suda Pill. I'm Suda Pill, dude. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. For years, motherfuckers been saying, Blake, how have you not played Suda 51's games? His, his legal name, not Goichi Suda. I don't know what that is. Uh, oh, they're okay. going to be your favorite of all time. And I just drug my feet. And then, of course, the second I played them, I, it vindicated years of people saying, you got to play this crazy man's games because I'm pseudopilled. I'm so stoked. This is like up there with Darkness 2 levels of I kind of wanted to just record last night. So you could keep playing today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like straight up. So we are talking about the first half of Killer7 through the mission Cloud Man for those playing along with us. Killer7 uh, is available for PC. It's surprisingly easy to run. I kind of thought it was going to be more of a struggle. Right. Anyway, uh, I'm here. Blake is here. But that's not all because we have um, uh, formerly of Game Informer and MinMax, currently of uh, writer at Big Blue Sky Games, and a man who I think... At one point, your favorite game of all time was Killer7. Is that still the case? Surreal Vasquez. Yeah, hello. Uh, it's it's great to be here, first of all. Uh, second of all, I I think it's f- sort of fluctuated, but I would say that on a given day, I think, yeah, this is probably my favorite game of all time. Uh, and it's more... I think this has been less... I think the other game that competes with it is is Dota 2, but I think that game has fallen off. Kind, I haven't played Dota 2 in a while, so it's almost by dint of dota kind of not being uh in my rotation that i think this game has just descended um but yeah i i love this game a lot it it kind of hit me at the i was definitely like in the right time to be hit by this game um and, but we'll talk more about why that is but definitely like both a foundational game and i think playing it uh for this still like i think is is still a game that whips ass i think yes sir and and look forward to next season where we're playing dota 2 Serial seven. <laughs> That's right. You can I, knock that out in two weeks for sure. <laughs> I was going to ask: uh, Is is Killer Seven and Dota Two are, are those the two most opposite games ever made? <laughs> <laughs> there, I. You know what? You're. I think you are right in that. I think that the, the reasons I love them are almost entirely diametrically opposed. Uh, where Dota 2 is a game that I love because it basically has every possible mechanic a video game can have, and Killer7 is a game that says, we don't need mechanics or we're going, baby. <laughs> That's right. We don't even need movement control. Yeah. <laughs> to to give a peek behind the curtain so the listener can understand how this season came to be, uh, Serial effectively held us up at gunpoint and told us, y'all have <laughs> right. to do a Suda season. I I pulled out my gun and went into scan mode and found your weak point yeah. and said, "We need this season to we need this season to happen because I I do think like when I think of rotten games it's like there this is the, one of the most rotten games that I can think of. Oh, buddy, for sure. And is it Jacob? How how are you doing with your Killer Seven Odyssey? I'm I'm good. I'll tell you in like I really loved the opening mission mm. and then like. The next two, I was kind of like, oh, so maybe it's 
it's not going to be able to like keep it up. And then the last one we played for today, Cloud Man, I was like, holy shit, I am, we're so back. Like, Oh, <laughs> interesting. Cloud Man was, one, was the one I found. I was like super in Mission 1 and 2, then Cloud Man started to get a bit frustrating for me. We can talk about those giant men and the way uh, this game maybe doesn't explain certain mechanics to you. But then sure. mm-hmm. I saw the, uh, I, would, I would guess, four and a half hour cutscene at the end of Cloud Man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes. bloody, I'm back That's it. in That's it. it. <laughs> okay, can I tell you, I want to tell you the moment that I knew we had made a right decision. And then we can start doing, like, background on this okay. game and suit and stuff because we have a lot to say. But it is in the tutorial mission where you've done this stuff, you know, there's, in this game, you, there's no movement controls except for, like, A to run forwards. I had been playing, I had been enjoying it. Eventually, you turn into a an old man who looks like the Quaker Oats man in a wheelchair. You meet with, like, uh, Hatsune Miku, essentially, <laughs> with angel wings. And you pull out, essentially, a Barrett 50 cal. And it's just like, go for it. Hey, <laughs> do, do whatever you want. And I was like, oh my god, this is the most rotten game. You're skipping <laughs> over the part where the animation to pull that gun out is the longest animation in video yeah. games. Oh, yeah, history. yeah, yeah. So help you God if you press that button on accident and you have to sit through both animations <laughs> of him pulling it out and then putting it back. It's mind numbing. That, that is a great moment where Garstin's, or yeah, Harmon Smith says uh, anime was a mistake and I'm about to take care of it. <laughs> yeah, straight up. <laughs> Uh, here's, here's a question I have just so I can get my potential stupidity out of the way. Jacob, uh, and perhaps Serial, if you remember the first time you played this game, at what point did you realize you could level your characters up? Oh gosh, it was, I, I accidentally clicked on like the blood guy on the TV and I was like, huh, what's he doing? Yeah. And, and I was just kind of like, I was clicking through the things on that TV, but I did, I mean, I should be forthcoming in that, like, I'm looking at a walkthrough for a lot of this mm. game. I'm kind of not organically discovering many of the mechanics, but even still, I was like, I don't know what these things mean yeah. or how I'm gaining this blood or what it's going to. I was at the end of the third mission. When I oh noticed God. in the pause menu that Coyote had stats next to his picture. And I was like, what the hell? And then I had to go on a whole new journey just to figure out how to upgrade yeah. him. At that point, it turned out I could upgrade most of my characters like very far. And it made the game way easier, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out. I've, yeah. Uh, I So I had a weird experience with this game, actually, where... Uh, which I don't think is, you know, atypical of this game. But I, I played the PS2 version, which is... Not a great version of that game. The loading times are worse, and it was kind of done by a different company. Um, and Suda has all but, I think, this own had kind of his work on it. Um, and I played that, and I found it, like, kind of inscrutable in a lot of ways. I played the first mission, and then by the time I got through the midpoint of the second mission, uh, I was like, I don't I don't know about this game. Because uh, the way I, I had heard about it was actually uh, after reading a review of No More Heroes in nintendo power where they make like a really strong case for like hey you should support games like this because no one else makes them quite like this and i played through no more heroes and loved it and said like what else is has this company made and uh i found killer seven and i played it that way and then i went through a uh a youtube uh video kind of let's play 
back when those were limited to 10 minutes a piece right when you couldn't upload <laughs> videos that were longer than 10 minutes so i went through like you know killer seven part 20 you know um but like when i was playing it yeah the the upgrade mechanic was definitely like Am I even upgrading it was, I think, with the point that I got to of like, I'm investing points in this as levels, but I'm not entirely sure what exactly I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, none of them are like health, you yeah. know, it's not, <laughs> not the skills you think you would get. No, but let me tell you, they help because if you are mm-hmm. playing the end of the third level completely non-upgraded and then you upgrade afterwards, you 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 are acutely aware of how underpowered you were for most of that game. They help a lot. That sorry. double shot? Oh my god. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Um, sorry, well, it's interesting you bring up the YouTube thing because, uh, God willing, our guest next week uh, actually told me that, like, it was a big game for her, but she's never played it. She, like, totally uh... interacted with it through YouTube things, which I think is kind of... I mean, I I knew about this game a long time ago and i think it was from me googling like weirdest games or whatever <laughs> when i was a kid and and yeah. it would like cause i remember seeing the cutscene at the end of the cloud man stage in some like game spot top 10 count yeah or something i was like i have seen this or maybe i was just like watching a video review of it but it's like it is so visually striking and also so kind of off-putting to play sometimes that like i think it really lends itself to that kind of early let's play environment yeah absolutely it's definitely like it it's weird like putting my flag down and saying like this is my favorite game of all time because it's not a game that i would like readily recommend it to a lot of people mm. it's almost like like if imagine if your favorite food just happened to be wasabi <laughs> and you're like <laughs> Not a thing you're going to say, hey, go go hit up this place. They have great wasabi there. It's kind of you you kind of have to get a feel for the person and say, like, I think I think you want to try this and like experience it for yourself. But it's not a thing where you're constantly like, you know, you're not an evangelist for this thing of like you should everyone should play this, even though I think most people should. But it's like in like that personal setting, it's hard to say, like, yeah, everyone should play this game because it's definitely like not not a game that is like meets all of the check marks for what is a good designed video game you know y'all have any games you're fans of you've never played great question because i i have one for sure like i feel like i would count myself as a pretty big silent hill fan and i've never Mm. played them but i've spent Uh so much of my life just kind of obsessed with silent hill never touched them there are definitely games that i've like listened to the soundtracks to constantly and like never silent hill you know that's one uh la noir i i played that but i didn't finish it but i still think Mm. about that game i'm like that game rocks yeah Yeah. i i think mine would probably be the king of fighters 13 which i have played but i haven't like not in the like i think i've maybe played it for an hour but i've watched a lot of tournaments for that yeah yeah, yeah. uh and like that game is so much fun to watch but uh yeah i I have not touched it much at all and i don't know a ton of the systems i only know what i know from having played even like king of fighters 14 which came out after but yeah. i still like watching 13 more. that's valid you can be a fan of a game and not play it like do you want to know what i think is wild jacob i bet it's the fact that butterflies can taste with their the bottom of their feet okay well now <laughs> this is completely derailed the ad because i do need to know about that but no what i think is wild is we've been doing this podcast long enough that people have probably listened to us talk for like multiple full days yeah people are dumb what do you want what do you want me to say Okay, no, but but that's not what's crazy. What I meant is that some people have listened to us talk for hours on end, and they're still not signed up for Nebula. Wait, you're right. That's 
full-on bonkers. I mean, do they not know how much better the show is on Nebula? That it's not interrupted by ads? That some of our best episodes are exclusive there? I mean, we're going to do a full-on commentary on the Mark Wahlberg Max Payne movie, and they'll only be able to hear it on Nebula. Hold on, we are? (laughs) Yeah, I haven't told you this yet. Oh my god, that sounds like a nightmare. Well, I'm getting mad about that, but I'm also getting mad about how many people have not gone to nebula.tv slash something rotten, especially since we give them a huge discount for signing up with that freaking link. Blake, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Disappointed Mm. that they've been missing out on so much of our delicious thoughts and beautiful content. You lost me again, shut up. Nebula.tv slash something rotten. (laughs) So do you think we should... I feel like we should do one of two things here. One, explain uh, what Killer7 is, or two, explain who Suda is. Which which one do you want to do first? I think Suda would maybe make more sense. All right. Well, you read about this man for four hours last night, apparently. Sure. So uh, tell, tell me what you found out. Suda's interesting. He's from the country, as I learned. Moved to Tokyo with no aspirations. Oh, I thought you were just going to say the country of Japan. No, the countryside. <laughs> I was like, yes, I knew. The countryside, I believe Nagano. Uh, moved to Tokyo with absolutely no aspirations of being a game developer. That was, like, not even on his radar. In fact, he was working, uh, for a little while, he worked part-time, and so this is kind of interesting, as a graphic designer, and did some graphic designs for uh, Sega, specifically Yu Suzuki's company within Sega, which I think was mm. AM2. And so did some, like, posters for um, uh, Virtua Racer. And he has this story about how, like, similar to Tim Schafer's story, there's a weird parallel here where Tim Schafer and Suda both talk about, like, they thought games were made by, like, these hyper... And they are made by, like, very smart people, obviously. But they thought they were made by, like, scientists <laughs> and shit. Yeah, and, and they were engineers. Yeah, and when he went to uh, meet with Suz- uh, Yu Suzuki... He saw people his age, he talks about them, like, listening to, like, Nirvana at their desks and being, like, really mind-blown about, like, oh, this is who makes games. It's, like, people my age. Um, but for a long time, he was working as a, in, in a, as a mortuary, a mortuary assistant, something like that? An undertaker. Yeah, 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 yeah as an undertaker. And I believe it was part-time. Like, he, and he thought that was going to be his thing. He was going to go full-time into this. And his wife was, like, <laughs> his wife was the realest one. She was, like, for real, dude? Like, you're, like, 24, this is what you want to do. You want to be a full-time undertaker. <laughs> and so he started looking for jobs. And this just goes to show what the game industry was like in probably the late 80s, uh, early 90s. He found companies that were like looking for people to work for them. And they're like, no experience needed. <laughs> just an insane thing to think about now because these yeah. days you might need to be a scientist to work on video games because like yeah like there's definitely like the uh, a strong undercurrent when you talk about origin stories for a lot of famous game yeah. developers of just like we don't know what experience in the video game field looks like yeah. so it's like a lot of people just kind of fell into it in a way that does not seem at all feasible now exactly so so and it, his story gets even wilder when he applied to human entertainment which was doing a lot of like sports games. Um, if you've ever heard, mm-hmm. and and Blake, may I? Uh, he kind of went from one Undertaker to another. That's good stuff, Jacob. Thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think they had the license for WWE, but that is a good joke. Human Entertainment was the developer. I didn't know this of the fabled Stadium Events game, which is like the most rare NES game of all time. Just a weird little thing there. I don't think Suda worked on that. Is that is that the same? I feel like I've played the arcade cabinet of that, right? Where you like, do you, do you know what it looks? Is it the one where you're doing like Olympic sports? Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've played, there's there's like a barcade near my house that I've done where you do like the long jump or the pole vault and it's just like pressing two buttons really fast. Oh, that might be a different one. That might be one of Capcom's. That could just be track and field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's probably that. Okay. Uh, anyway, so he applied to human entertainment. They did not get back to him until his wife convinced him to call and ask to be like, can I do anything? His wife was so real, dude. She, yeah. she, he owes his career to his wife. This is like Suda and Stephen King. Their wives being like, you should do something with this. <laughs> so he called and freak coincidence. Uh, one of their directors had just up and quit. Who was directing this, this run of, um, this run of wrestling games. And Human Entertainment... That's, that was my undertaking. Yeah, th- there we go. We've brought it together. Human Entertainment was like, uh, yeah, this dude just quit. He was a big-time director for us. You have no experience. Uh, can you direct games for us? <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, yeah. And, you know, um, I, I don't know. He went and directed some sports games. Uh, Sarah, you want to take over from here? You might, you might know a little bit. Yeah, so I think the first game that he worked on at Human, I believe, was uh, Fire Pro Wrestling three some version of three because i think those games had multiple revisions yeah, yeah. and he, he i think he kind of took that project over uh and the first kind of game that he really got his hands on as a director was uh fire pro wrestling special i believe is the name of the game uh and that game is famous for having a intensely dour storyline where you play as a wrestler working his way up the ranks and at the end uh you become so disillusioned with the industry that you take your own life and so <laughs> Uh, that was a surprisingly dark story for a uh, uh, a wrestling game at the time, where it's just like the bulk of the game is just like you put two guys in a wrestling ring and they you know they yeah. they throw each other around. Uh, but that was a game that that went dark in a lot of ways. Imagine if like the new NFL like career modes <laughs> <laughs> at the end, yeah, yeah. it's just like I'm done with this. No more for me. Yeah, I think there's a series of extenuating circumstances that escalate. But I ha- I actually haven't played the game. I just ha- I have heard. Uh, I have a co- I think I have a copy of three, but. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of famously weird stuff in the in that game. As Suda tells it, just to show gamers, they've never changed. Apparently, when they did this, uh, the internet was in its early periods, so instead they got a bunch of postcards and letters from mm-hmm. fans who were fucking furious, and they would just get boxes of these letters from people being like so pissed at them for this suicide plotline. So, gamers, they've yeah. always been freaks. Yeah, so and so is Suda. To be fair, like, <laughs> from there he goes. I, I believe he works. I forget if these are all in a directorial capacity, but he he goes on to to direct like uh, the Moonlight and Twilight Syndrome games, which are kind of these visual novels that kind of are in a similar vein as Killer7 to some degree in a lot of the the late 90s, 2000s, kind of very, like, edgelordy uh, strain of, like, Japanese video games where there are a lot about murders and, ver- and like, they're very interested in the idea of, like, let's, let's see what kind of messed up crap we can depict in a video game kind of thing. Um, and so eventually he goes off and kind of does his own thing and the, uh, founds Grasshopper Manufacturer, um, which they they kind of see as like a very punk independent outfit, which not there weren't a ton of independent developers at the time. Um, and so like their first game is The Silver Case, which is again another kind of visual novel that has a lot of references to Moonlight and Twilight Syndrome, um, but is 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 set in its own world and has a very similarly like very cynical 
uh, storyline. Um, but it's like pretty good. It's like you can tell that game was made by someone who is very invested in graphic design because there's a lot of like weird and cool interface stuff going on with how the game presents like what is essentially a a visual novel. Um, and then they're like from there he just starts making weird games uh, like Flower, Sun, and Rain and um so i think he there is also like a very conventional string like grasshopper is also responsible for like shining force 2 and like there's a series of like later on action games that are based on like things like samurai shampoo and blood plus which is like an anime that was around at the time but there was definitely like there ends up being a strain of like there are suited games and there are non-suited games and like the suited games tend to be also weird but kind of more conventional but there is also it's sort of like a now where you see like in double fine there will be a strain of like this is tim's project yeah. or like this is like a lee petty thing or and or like this is mm-hmm. a, a project that we funded right so there are kind of those two uh concurrent lines of development um and eventually that he makes a uh, michigan report from hell which is a not from what i've heard a very good uh photo taking game in the vein of um what's that What's that horror series where you take photos of ghosts? Fatal Frame. Fatal Frame. Yeah, it's sort of like that. Pokemon um, Snap. That's right. Uh, a Pokemon <laughs> Snap like. Uh, and so Killer Seven comes about because Capcom is is under uh, the gun for the the Capcom Five, which is kind of their slate yes, of yeah. GameCube exclusive video games. I think one of which is canceled. One of which is Resident Evil Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is Product Number Three. Yeah, and there's one, one, and there's one other, beautiful Joe and baby. beautiful Joe from Clover, uh, and then Killer Seven, which is was kind of a an interesting thing because I think Shinji Mikami kind of sought Suda out for that of like we are looking for games that are cool and Japanese and weird to put on this GameCube console. Give me some pitches, and so he basically shows them. He has all these ideas for video games, and then one of them is just like, "Here's this art style that the GameCube is very good at rendering. This very cell shaded, simple uh, colors art style." And he's like, "That I want that one. I I don't know what what the rest of that pitch is. I want whatever looks like that." Yeah, can we can we talk about the Capcom Five? Uh, yeah, for a minute, Jacob, because it's so interesting. I would. I would love to. I have I ever uh, one of my secret dream projects is the oral history of the Capcom Five. It is one of the craziest things I've ever heard that like Capcom uh, completely bungled <laughs> for Nintendo. Right? Yeah, but but they have. I mean, so it's like you know, basically the take and and Blake, correct me if I'm wrong here is like Capcom is like we need like new we need new blood like we're not like an exciting company anymore and so we're going to kind of like do interesting new stuff i think it was more like a a reaction to the game industry at large at that time as well like they kind of felt that and maybe they i don't know if they meant overall or just specifically in japan but they felt like there was a game industry stagnation Mm -hmm. at that point and at the time nintendo going up against what would be you know the ps2 and later the xbox though the xbox is pretty much a non-factor probably for Capcom in terms of competition. Uh, They wanted a slew of exclusives for the GameCube. And then, you know, this, that birthed this partnership with Capcom. The Capcom was going to create these five tin pole games, these five like big hitters that were only going to come to the GameCube. And that did not end up being the case for all of them, except one, if you don't count the one that was released. I don't think PNO3 ever came to yeah. anything else. But It's so, I mean, I just want to read, this was like a, a statement on their website at the time. Capcom said, 
we believe that the regression of excitement is solely the fault and responsibility of we creators. By the same token, we believe it is also our mission and responsibility to create something that is worth seeing, quote-unquote, for the user. In a market that has become prosaic, prosaic, <laughs> with character-dependent games and sequel games, we would like to take this opportunity to announce five new and exciting games for the GameCube. It's just like, one, it's weird to hear them be like, okay, yeah, it seems like games have been, like, sucking, and that's our fault, but, like, we're gonna make them better. And two, it's like, they were saying this in, in, like, 2001 yeah you know it's like when you look at the games that came out in 2001 it's like what are you talking about <laughs> what's yeah. what's what's interesting about the capcom 5 though because uh, i feel like a lot of people talk about it as kind of a failure which it largely was um because those games did not end up being exclusives uh for yeah uh, a failure in a business cube, sense which, but i think almost over yeah. like they for, in for my money they were overwhelmingly like successful creatively the idea that like hey we need to inject new blood into the game industry one of the games we were thinking about for this initiative is resident evil 4 <laughs> like the continuation exactly. of one of our like, tentpole franchises i sometimes think the failure like overshadows resident evil 4 notwithstanding like the impact of the capcom 5 if you you discount again pno3 and dead phoenix the canceled game like beautiful joe would like snowball into us getting platinum right because clover was working on that um okami was around at the same time but wasn't part of the capcom 5 uh killer 7 i i hadn't really thought about this until yesterday was such a like landmark game for indie developers that would come like 10 years later like hot the hotline miami devs are like huge outspoken mm -hmm. suit of fans M more recently neon white of course i think just grasshopper in general was such like a big influence on developers that would come within the first and second indie boom and it all starts kind of in killer seven being grasshopper's first big american release that like caught the eye of a lot of people being like what the fuck is this weirdo game which i'm still saying in 2023 yeah. and the resident evil 4 we don't need to belabor the point on yeah, that not one. not, not a notable game in, in many ways <laughs> yeah i was gonna say but like the make two of surreal's top five games of all time yeah ba basically yeah. Five. That's <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. yeah and the other thing is that like they're both like shooters where you like stop and shoot so it's like maybe i'm just yeah. really into the idea of not moving while shooting well look here's the thing uh also worth bringing up that i found out playing killer 7 about the parallels between the games and the capcom 5 famously early in resident evil 4 you stumble upon a woman's body that has been impaled through the head with a uh what do you call those Fork. great a yeah. pitchfork a pitchfork and leon rather tastelessly mm -hmm. says Wow, guess there's no sex discrimination here. <laughs> yeah, until they uh, the woke mob made them take yeah. it out of the remake. <laughs> Very early in Killer 7. Yeah. I don't recall the exact line, but basically the exact same joke is made in uh, Killer 7. They say no sex discrimination, which made me wonder if that was like a weird inside joke going on. Like, it feels like too much of a coincidence that they would make the same shitty joke yeah. in these games released for the same thing. Um, and Shinji Mikami helped out on the story, so there you go. Who's to say? Yeah, this is a weird, like, uh, like dream project for me specifically, because, yeah, it's uh, Shinji Mikami and Suda51 working together, which is an interesting uh, mix that wouldn't happen until, uh, again, until, like, tw uh, around the time Shadows of the Damned came out. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, like, kind of look into, here's where people's sense of humor was around, like, 
yeah. I feel like there were a lot of comedians making that same kind of joke around the time. Like if you if you ever watched anything with like yeah. uh, Carlos Mencia, where he's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm like an equal opportunity offender kind of thing," right? Where that kind of like yeah. very edge lordy, like I'm gonna like try to like push the boundaries, but I'm really just kind of enforcing the status quo. But I'm doing it in like a more like quote unquote uh, R rated way. Uh, there was definitely a lot of that going around at the time. Thank God we've moved yeah. past that cultural moment. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I was actually bummed when they didn't have the no sex discrimination joke in the Resident Evil <laughs> 4 remake. I, I think they should add that back in. Yeah. Um, but I was a little shocked to see that pop back up and be like, what? why? Why is that popping up in both of these Capcom 5 games? Okay, so, uh, Blake, here's a, I, w- I want to challenge you here. Can you explain in, like, the the simplest possible terms just what the act of playing killer seven is like oh my god just like purely mechanical it's more or less like an on rails shooter where you're walking across a set path you can only go forward and back outside of moments where you choose cardinal directions you walk into a room you shoot some enemies you solve a simple puzzle and then the big kind of mechanical conceit is you have six to seven different characters you can switch between somewhat on the fly it somewhat restricts you sometimes you can switch between them all and they all have various powers that will help you and with uh, navigation or combat yeah that's that's about it and you hear that and you're like sounds boring um and then you play it and you're like kind of but also kind of this (laughs) is the craziest thing i've ever seen i mean i don't know i feel like when you finally like it happens very early on that you realize, because again, the game, almost in a Dark Soulsy way, doesn't want to tell you how to actually play the game in a lot of respects. Well, uh, until until you go into that room with the gimp suit guy, and oh, he's yeah, like, here's like, everything, everything in the game. Yeah. Right, right. But like once I realized it's not just going to open up a quick text thing, and I'm going to have to sit through his gibberish for each one, I was like, I'll just figure it out on my mm-hmm. own. Games are fun through exploration and yeah. discovery. Uh but early in the game, when you start discovering the different characters and, like, their powers, I think it's, like, kind of an interesting... I, I was with you in that I thought it was kind of boring at first until I started experimenting with characters. And I was like, there's more going on here mechanically than I expected. Suriel, here's a question. You actually, you recently did a, a video on Resident Evil 4 that I thought was really interesting and in talking mm-hmm. about, like, the version differences. Um, what are... Have, have you played, like, the modern PC release... I assume. Yeah, that that's the one that I played for for this. Is I, I played I played up to Cloudman in the PC version. So one thing that I was struck by immediately was um, playing this on a controller is so hard. Um, mm-hmm. And I I mm. played with a controller enough, so I was like, okay, I think I know what this feels like. And then I switched to a mouse because I just found aiming so difficult. Can you talk about like? the the original release and i guess like the things they've changed because also like the character swapping and stuff is different or is streamlined in the pc one faster yeah so in the pc version you straight up have hotkeys and you can swap among the characters by just pressing you know the number keys uh Mm -hmm. which is instant like it actually like kind of breaks the flow of it a little bit because you're not supposed to be able to like you're supposed to go into the menu, select the personality from the menu, and then swap there. But in this, in the PC version, because you can just press, you know, five for Kona or like four for Coyote, depending on the level, it's like you just instantly activate that really cool transition where the character turns into pallets of blood and explodes and then becomes the next character. So a lot of it, yeah, it's like it's it is more efficient 
uh, in, a, in like to parallel a lot of the stuff that I said in that Resident Evil 4 video, wh- where like it is m- better and improved because a lot of it is easier, but then it also it kind of flattens a lot of that game because it's like if it's if the shooting is too easy, it, it almost kind of is beside the point. Like what you me- mentioned about the it's a lot harder on the controller, like there's more tension, right? Um, and so like when you're playing out on PC, you definitely don't have as much like uh kind of fear of these enemies um and there are specifically bosses later on that are that definitely are meant to test your ability to aim um like we'll talk about the the boss at the end of uh the second level and how that one is significantly different when you're playing on a controller um the end of sunset um Mm -hmm. but aside from that like there you know there's widescreen and the it runs at a more consistent frame rate um, and there's like some graphical differences where I think like the scanning, there's supposed to be like a kind of a, a bit of static that comes over the screen that I don't think the PC version captures mm. as well. Um, but besides that, it, it feels like this, this art style, I feel like is both a moment in time and has aged really, really well because it, I oh, think yeah. it, yeah. I think it looks really, really good. But in terms of version differences, there's like. There are definitely some, but um, I don't. I don't think it's like as vast as something like Resident Evil Four. I think. Yeah, I think the game. Just to, to echo that, I think the game looks fantastic. I mean, it, uh, a lot of that is aesthetic, and then a good portion of it is just like it is resed up to you know look good mm-hmm. on modern machines. What bums me out, and let me know if y'all had the same issue or if it's something I need to go in the menus and fix. Or the anime cutscenes look fucking terrible. Oh yeah, they run at like three sixty. Yeah, I'm guessing that's just yeah. what they have. I'm guessing they don't have like the original masters yeah. for whatever that is. But yeah, it's it's such a bummer because they look like they're beautiful. But like I'm watching it through like it looks like I'm like underwater or some shit trying to watch a TV. I mean, they truly look like they look so much like you were watching old gorillas music videos yeah. on YouTube before they had <laughs> HD. Like the art style is really, and I yeah. don't say that negatively because yeah. I think the gorillas music yeah, yeah. videos are like really cool looking, but it's like, it's this kind of version of animation, this like early CG, but because they're doing it cell shaded, it doesn't, it doesn't look like shit, you know, like it looks really yeah. interesting but it's also just so so low quality um and i mean i i looked up the the cgi cutscenes were made by a company uh called digital frontier that's a a production company in japan and their list of everything they've worked on is just bananas it's like you know metal gear solid 4 metal gear rising smash bros all of the yakuza games since 4 basically uh so it's like they are well known but watching these you're like there's clearly so much craft i wish i could see it through the pixels yeah did you all uh did you all notice in the main menu depending on the difficulty you select the tempo of the song changes yeah it's really cool it's cool it's just a really cool thing that happens it's yeah like and what you mentioned about suda being a graphic designer is very clear here because you see like even from the (laughs) beginning the way it uses like even just the opening uh kind of titles or not even like the the logo sequences right and immediately it interrupts them with like the smile laugh and the yep. screen turning red it, I, when you're on the grasshopper logo in capcom mm-hmm. like that's that's very much and like the way all the menus shift and like the the lettering on the on stuff and the way you select levels by like shooting your target in the interface it's yeah. all very like they have thoroughly thought about every interactive aspect of this game yes. in a way that a lot of games take for granted it you know it, it like i feel like 
obviously this is not a, a, a this is a case by case basis. There are plenty of new games that come out that have a sense of style, but like I feel like they stand out more because games lack sense of style so often. Yeah. Like you think of just like any run of the mill triple A game, like Last of Us Part Two does not have style in terms of its like menus. You know what I'm saying? Like they're just kind of like black and white text. And so when you play a game like this that's almost 20 years old, or of course the Atlas games coming out where they have such strong like graphic design direction in their menus and their presentation it just like it hits like a ton of bricks i wish more games had this but like 20 years ago it looks better than a lot of current games it really makes i think the the neon white comparison that you made at the beginning is clear because it's like when you're playing neon white you look at the HUD and it's like, why is all this shit here? Or, or it <laughs> yeah. says like, white, a damned soul confined mm. to heaven to kill demons at the bottom. It's like, why would there be this text? But like, when you were just looking at the screen of Neon White, it is so much more visually interesting. And yep. that is yeah. here where it's like, it's not, the goal here is not like perfect practicality and right. functionality. Oh, definitely you know, it's not. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not, because it also, it's not like it like, shows you really clearly how much health you have mm-hmm. you know the health bar is like this eye that like opens and closes depending on the amount of damage you've taken and so it's all just like it is it is cool first and functional kind of like fourth or yeah. fifth i think that's why you don't see a lot of games like this because i think the like the common practice for like ui and ux is to like make it like seamless and make it like because in menus like people don't see menus as like a premier destination in video games right it's like i'm here to, for a specific purpose and then i'm out and so like and you mm-hmm. still see like i remember um there was that announcement from like the big huge new rpg from the persona team and it had this like wild looking interface uh for like the menus and stuff which is you know typical of that company but i i did definitely see like tweets of like oh man i can't read this at all i i have no idea what's going on here which is sometimes seen as like this negative about like if i can't read the menus well and access them or use them efficiently then that is like a bad ui design but i think the and this ties into my mm-hmm. larger argument of why why i love this game so much is that it understands that everything is narrative design and it's just it, it is using every component of its interactivity to to like impart a feeling and say like we are trying we have a statement we want to make about this specific thing and it's all it's like innate throughout this game that everything is part of like for as nonsensical as the story can often be it feels like every decision this game is making is like tied to a coherent like a a statement that they are trying to make here's here's a an aspect of kind of narrative and mechanical design that i did not expect from this game at all is it has what feels like almost roguelike elements a corpse run like yeah kind of or, or or maybe souls yeah souls things where so you've got these characters like many different that you can switch between which are confusingly they are aspects of like one person's personality right mm-hmm. like that's that's the 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 kind of idea is like you're playing seven different versions um but one can die and that does not game over and instead what you have to do is select um one of these guys who everyone has their little voice clips on the screen and his is just i'm a cleaner yeah. uh and it and he is because you you then have to run back to the place where you died and he like picks up the corpse and then you can revive that player which is 
I, I just think of as like such an interesting and kind of modern mechanic, yeah. you know, through Demon Souls or whatever. And I was just like, I was really surprised to see that, especially in this game, which often feels so on rails, uh, that this is a, like a really, I don't know, just like a creative way of uh, approaching things, even though um, it is hard and annoying mm -hmm. sometimes, especially because mm -hmm. the cleaner guy has an incredibly yeah. weak gun and it can be really hard to get back. Yeah, you're not supposed to use him in regular combat, right? Like you, when, when you are doing that corpse room, yeah. you feel vulnerable. Because, like, you want to get that personality back and revive them. And all the other personalities are so much better uh, than Garcia at killing. So he's, like, in a way the medic, but he's he is the character that you interact with the most outside of, like, the gameplay, right? Like, he is the character that is on is, that is in all of the cutscenes. They all focus on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, who's your all's favorite? Smith. All their last names are Smith, by the way. Dear listener. Uh, I think, narratively, I like Garcia. Uh, the one that I end up using most is Cone because he is the fastest and he has like the he kind of gives you the most leeway because he has the dual pistols and they fire twice, right? Uh, which makes it easy to hit uh, weak points. Dan has when you upgrade him, he can get a triple shot. Mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of the characters mm -hmm. have double shot, but Dan has a triple shot, which I find very, uh, very useful. But he's like the most boring. It's like my favorite is definitely uh, the woman. I just think she's like the coolest yeah. looking and her her skill is so uh, ridiculous. But I yeah. really enjoy when they do. Yeah, it. I, well, I mean, she has she has two. like every character has like two uh, skills that are like one of them is for combat and one of them is for puzzle solving. And like hers is like her combat skill is like she has a scope. Right. And this is where the killer seven gun yeah. from Resident Evil four comes from. It is her gun uh and but like uh -huh. her other powers like if there's blood on the wall or like of some sort of barrier this like ab like this bdsm avatar of her is gonna come out and she's gonna like wave her hand and destroy like the blood or absorb it and like cause the scene to change it's very cool well is that is that what's i mean because my take on what was going on is she was like slitting yeah her she does that because it's like okay yeah because it's this like shower of blood Okay. Yeah. It, it depends on wh what you're using it for. She's my favorite as well. She got the she got the scope that's real good. When you go over her character select, she says, "What the fuck are you looking at?" It sounds really cool. I'm just a big fan of her. It, the, those quotes change also depending on the level. Really? Because uh, like in the first level, she says, "Like I changed my makeup." Did you notice? Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and then yeah, so every time, like there's, I think there's a limited number. I don't think it's like on a per level basis, but they do change between levels. And all the characters' outfits, like the the color scheme of their outfits, change. Uh, between levels two and yeah, oh like God, it, it yeah, like there is an attention to detail here that feels like both limited because it's it's not like they're wearing completely different clothes, but it's like it's enough to that you know that all the outfits are different. But it's like yeah, they they find every possible avenue to do something interesting and they just go for it. And which is yep. which is in opposition to a lot of the stuff that this game does mechanically, where it's like oh how what possible order could you be lighting these candles in? And all the candles are literally numbered <laughs> in the order that you're supposed to put them. It's like not and like they give you hints for most of like the big puzzles so they're not like yeah. too intricate at all which i appreciate just letting me kind of <laughs> you know like that it's like this game was made with the idea that i would have to be playing it <laughs> on a work basis in a very truncated amount of time suda was like let's just give them the fucking solutions another another element of characterization i love is i think their barks are so perfectly yeah. like 
short and memorable without getting annoying because it's so easy to have just a thing that a character says over and over in a video game to get annoying immediately mm -hmm. and just for some reason i don't find them annoying in this and i think it's i think it's coyotes who when you so so you shoot at enemies uh they have a weak point where if you can hit that weak point you just kill them in one hit and when you hit that that critical spot I think that's usually where yeah. they say, like, their thing. But Coyote just being like, you're fucked, is just, like, it's just so yeah. good, and I never get tired of hearing him say that. Yeah, yeah the, I think the only character who can't hit criticals is Mask, because he just has grenade launchers, and that's kind of the trade-off you're making with him, is that you have this big mm -hmm. AoE blast, but you're not going to get ex the extra blood that you get from hitting yeah. critical points. Mask sucks so bad. <laughs> Every time I have to play as him, I'm like, what am I not getting? He reloads yeah. so slowly, and I can't hit There's definitely So the only reason to switch to him is when the Giants, you're fighting the Giants. Just switch and use his uh, his special move, and it takes them out really quick. You don't have to aim for their eye. Otherwise, I wouldn't use him at all. Yeah, I don't use Kevin a lot either, which is interesting. To... I like the, I don't know if it's intentional, but it seems intentional from Suda to have the one character named Kevin Smith be the silent character. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Is Kevin the knife man? Yeah, he's the one who fires knives and, and can oh, turn yeah. invisible I, and, and go through wires uh, and stuff. Yeah, I don't use him much unless I, I don't want to fight an enemy. Then I'll go invisible and sneak past him. Yeah, he's also good for taking care of those giant smiles because you right. can just run yeah, past yeah, them. Yeah, 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 good point. Or with the giants, what I found is you can just run up to them until they make a noise and then they start falling over and you just turn around yeah, and run but, backwards. And uh, so you don't have yeah, to fight so it's them like, at all. It's, I think it. the intended way is that you're supposed to use Kate's scope to hit their eye before they get to you, but that is by far the hardest way to deal with those characters is to just snipe yeah. them before they get to them. I actually learned a dummy's way to do it is if you wait until they're right on you before their fall animation, they'll look straight down at you and open their eye mm. and it's so close that it's just an easy shot. So that's how I was doing it. That's a it. risk, yeah. That's how I was doing it yesterday, but I was, I was going through them. Serial, if you know the answer to this, don't say it. Blake, do you know why uh, they all have the, the last name Smith? Yeah, because he loves the Smiths, the band. Yeah. <laughs> that is why. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of like... Uh, practical elements of like oh we're just making all this stuff because we have to because like the the focus of the game is the art style and what's the best way to present it and like there's just a lot of aesthetic mm -hmm. references thrown in there like it being called the smiths and like when you kill an, like an enemy with uh, a critical they'll just say all you need is blood or like th things like that where they're just constantly inserting yep. pop culture references in a way that doesn't feel yep. that feels like okay we thought of this thing and we're putting it here just see the basic instinct reference late in the game it's a real good one where Samantha uh, is having sex with the old man and she sits down, does the basic instinct thing. And I was like, I see oh, yeah. it. I see it. I see what I saw what you're doing here, Suda. It's, it's interesting where I almost feel like it's kind of full circle where if you, I guess, theoretically, if you play a game now and it has a lot of contemporary references, you're like, OK, these are funny. If you play a game from like five years ago that has a bunch of references, you're kind of like, this is like cringe like the the kind of in like watchdogs when they put yeah. like very old memes on the billboards and you're just like oh god why are they doing this but now that this game is like 20 years old the references are almost like charming mm -hmm. again you know it's like i like seeing the references to other like 20 30 year old media an interesting point to that though is like 
Suda claims, I, I'm not Suda, I can't say whether this is true or not, that there is like an intention, I guess it doesn't claim, like implies there's an intentionality behind him doing that, which I don't know, you just named your character Smith because you like the band The Smiths. But uh, there was an interview in that the, the Killer7 book with him where they're like, hey, people think this game's influenced by Kill Bill, and he like gets really up in arms about it. He's like, what the fuck? No. And they're like, well, it has, you know, Kill Bill has anime scenes. This has anime scenes. And he's like, no, that's stupid. And then he says the hardest thing a developer could ever say, where he was like, uh, I like movies, of course, but I don't hold games in such contempt that I would just blindly mimic them. <laughs> Which personally, <laughs> I think a lot of developers could learn yeah, I from. Think Hideo Kojima. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same about Neil Druckmann. I'm just like, we were not. Yeah. He just hit that guy's weak point and he just evaporated into a, a plate of blood. <laughs> Which, I don't know, maybe he doesn't see, like, I, I guess references, you know, aren't necessarily mimicking something. And this game does feel, like, very distinct visually and, like, narratively from, like, even the things he's pulling from. But I thought it was funny that he was just like, don't fucking compare me to movies. I'm a game maker and that's what I want to do. Yeah, it, it, I think it also reveals, like, this game is, because it is so distinct, it kind of reveals how much of, like, art can be this mix of like pragmatism and interpretation where like even the basic uh there's a an interview with him in Gama Sutra a long time ago where he talks about how the the fact that you're moving on rails is kind of a concession to the Japanese audience which at the time was seen as being averse to shooters i don't know how true it was yeah. but like you you hear about you know for example there was when Half-Life 2 made it to Japan it was like the most popular form was as as an arcade game where that basically turned it into a light gun shooter where like you would step out and like you would move forward automatically and like you would just step out to peek out and like shoot opponents with a gun. And so I think they had like reservations about we don't want to make a sh we want to make a shooter, but we're kind of afraid that like, you know, the Japanese audience doesn't click with shooters and won't know how to like necessarily like move and shoot at the same time. So they just said like, OK, what if you just like if we took care of most of the movement uh, and then just had you like kind of make it easier to control by by doing stop and pop effectively where you can't move and shoot at yep. the same time um and how that ends up to me feeling like along with all the like how easy the puzzles are and like saying like oh yeah like in most games you, like it's beside the point how like the fact that you have full control over your movement is kind of besides the point because you're just going to go down the hallway you're just going to go straight and you're going to go off in the spokes mm -hmm. that we design so there's really no point into like you having more agency than this or like yeah you're gonna get through the puzzle so it's like beside the point that like how you we just want you to use the puzzles as a way to traverse the level right and so it almost feels like a deconstruction of video games in that like it, it this it, this part of it the design stuff almost seems like perfunctory and like we we have a goal of showing you this art style and doing cool stuff and the the game design is a is like how we're gonna do that um, but it ends up like, I wouldn't say that the shooting is beside the point because that, that is the central mechanic, mm -hmm. but it almost feels like, yeah, we're just doing this because we need to. And so we're going to all like, to some degree kind of say like, what is the bare minimum that we can do here? But it feels so in, like it has this really strong intent of like, this game stands out because of all of these practical decisions yep. that they made. Do you think it's a, uh, reasonable comparison to, uh, to compare this to metroid prime um because in in both games i just thought i was thinking about how it's interesting that in this game before you shoot anyone 
you have to do this scan mechanic, which is mm-hmm. very basic, but it's just like the enemies are unvi- invisible until you stop and hit the scan button and then they show up and then you can you can lock onto them or you can free aim and you can shoot them. And it's like Metroid Prime's whole thing was like, what if we made a first person shooter? But it was like about scanning, yeah. you know, and and when you're moving around, you basically don't have to aim at all. It just seems like these games trying to figure out like in in a, a public that does not know how to move and aim at the same time. Yeah. How do we how do yeah. we do this? Like how do we figure it out? It, it seems like even then, around that time, it felt like the the kind of the the writing was on the wall that like oh shooters are going to be the thing, and I think there was almost this undercurrent of like how can we implement shooting like first person mechanics and to kind of convince people who are into shooters to play other kinds of games because I think both Metroid Prime and Killer Seven feel mm, like mm-hmm. they're essentially adventure games where the where you have like this like novel shooting mechanic thrown in and kind of like you know fully implemented and it's not like it's not like a byproduct or anything but it's like it killer seven plays like here's an adventure game where you're like the the large the design of the levels is like go here collect this item and then put it in this key and then kind of see a cutscene and and watch extended cutscenes um and like use these abilities of like oh how can you possibly get through this hole in the ceiling you you have to switch to a character and use their key ability right um but then it's like okay for those action game freaks we have this shooting mechanic right it so it almost feels like it's it's them trying to say like let's let's try to make an adventure game but also make it a shooter yeah it almost feels like an adventure game but you get to play some virtual cop in the middle yeah and that's basically (laughs) it and and yeah Yeah. and all that stuff just makes it feel now of like man there is just like no other game like this it's it's true but i think that's like what makes it so great i don't know i'm probably just preaching to the choir it's like how heavily authored it feels and the fact i can't go play killer eight makes it like i'm I'm just immediately so smitten by it's like this is just its own fucking standalone thing and it exists on its own island because like i don't know the dude that made it claims he went on media blackout for three years and didn't watch any movies or play games and like tried to make a game that in every respect was not like any other games and it's like I think in a lot of cases, he kind of nailed it, which is crazy because otherwise those platitudes would seem very stupid. Yeah, but. and it's it's interesting because it's like there – so uh, one thing – the reason I linked you to that uh, that book that is like Hand mm-hmm. Killer 7, which is like one of several attempts to kind of flesh out the story of Killer 7 because a lot of the narrative content of this game was cut uh, kind of through production yeah. because they needed to. And so like a lot – there is there is like prequel comics that are, you know, the – canon of which is kind of up in the air but uh they they've made some attempts to kind of clarify a lot of the story stuff and there are like you know there's that book um but like yeah a lot of it is is hard to like really parse in a lot of ways and that almost makes it more interesting as a game where it's like if you had tried if you if there was like a killer seven remake that said like we're gonna integrate all of that cut story stuff in it would almost feel like that would make it less weird and less distinct as a result so part of it is like Every time someone's tried to, like, do something, because, like, Killer is Dead is effectively, was pitched in part as, like, we're trying to do Killer 7 again, and that game is not very good mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons of, like, we wanted to make it a more traditional action game, etc. Um, but, yeah, it, it's hard to it's hard to point people to, like, if I like Killer 7, what other games can I play? And there's really only a handful of games that, like, really uh, kind of hit that mark. Um, and yeah. as a quick aside though you can play Killer 8 it is a mode you you unlock when you beat the right, game and it's a right. harder version of the game <laughs> right. of course 
can I make a, another strained comparison, Blake? Mm-hmm. Sorry, what you just said reminded me of a, a movie that even after being in high school, I love uh, called Donnie Darko. Oh, um, interesting. And <laughs> you may not have heard of this film. <laughs> um, but the, the thing about Donnie Darko is that um, there is this director's cut that a lot of people consider kind of like you know, the director is like, oh, I wish this stuff had been in the movie. And when you watch that, you realize that it is not a kind of weird fantasy film. It's a sci-fi story poorly told, um, you know, and it's right. like adding all the context makes the story much less interesting. And so I do think that it is these like huge gaps in understanding that Killer7 lets you exist with where it's like, maybe if we knew everything that was happening, this story would not right. be nearly as evocative. But, you know, like, yeah. because we're just trying to be like, what the hell is going on here? I can kind of fill it in with the most interesting possible version in my head. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, the Miyazaki uh, quote where he talks about, like, the way he tells stories in Dark Souls games. He does that because he doesn't, he's not confident that he would be able to tell a good version of that story in the traditional way so by by Mm. kind of doing it in a different way he's able to kind of obfuscate that stuff and yeah and that speaks to kind of what like another thing that this game like watching it for the first time in like 2009 i think or 2010 uh definitely kind of solidified to me the idea of like something like death of the author where it's like it doesn't matter what how like what the intent of the author was going into the piece of work, like the process is the art. Yeah. And so like the fact that they had to cut all of this stuff out makes it like that making it weirder kind of goes to show that like, yeah, like the artist is responsible for the piece of art, but like the thing that you get is almost more important than whatever they thought about. Like, well, this was what we were planning to do. Right. So to talk uh, specifically about the story and the levels we played, I'll say, in terms of what's going on in the game's story, I kind of only barely know. In terms mm-hmm. of what the game seems to be saying, I, I'm, I feel like I'm following along a lot better. And it's weird, right? Because it's a game about, like, the past, at that point, what would it have been, 60 years of America and, America and Japanese is, like, political relationships with each other. And the way it explores the breakdown of that is really fascinating. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's such a... It's not what I expected. Like, I expected this to just be some, like, gritty neo-noir. And instead, you get, like, Suda's thoughts on theoretical geopolitics. There's, there's like, another thing that makes this feel very much like an early 2000s game. is like, boy, there's a lot of talk about the UN. You know, the UN is, like, this really powerful decision-making entity. Which I feel like for the past at least 10 years maybe 15 it's like haven't heard a lot of people talking about like how the un is influencing global politics but here it is like a major player yeah it feels like i mean granted it came out i guess five years later but it feels like in some ways a response to 9-11 a lot of talk about terrorism exactly yeah 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 so the beginning of this game talks about like how in an effort to like end world terrorism uh, the UN, like, all these countries came together to create this, like, big agreement. And they did that by, like, as far as I'm concerned, making life, like, considerably worse for people. Like, rather than have the TSA, they just end air flight entirely for citizens. 
which I'm like, okay, that's yeah. fucking like, you've just made the world so much smaller for all its citizens. Like, it, it's almost like these drastic steps that like have direct parallels to the real world. Like, we now have the annoyance of yeah. going to the TSA, but in their version, it's like you can't just get on planes yeah. anymore because one person might hijack it out of three hundred million. You know, it's yeah. such it's such a good beginning, just like making a setting and having you be like wait what where it's just like the world ended terrorism (laughs) how did that happen and yeah you're like great i can't believe that's good but it's how did you do it oh you know like there's definitely a statement being made when you're like the way that we got rid of terrorism was like indefinitely grounding all flights and instead i think what would be simpler is if there was just an enormous bridge connecting every nation so, across the water <laughs> and then like that way there's no that way no one could hijack a flight and this and like you know hit yeah one there's of the no way towers. to do a terrorist act on a bridge that could yeah happen. i also like i think this game is not like the most vicious indictment of America, but I also don't think it's a glowing endorsement of the country. And I think one of America's big uh, structural failings is in its highway system rather than like uh, train systems or anything yeah. better. I don't know. Um, and so it's ve- it's very funny that this game's solution is like, let's make literally the worst idea possible for traveling yeah. the world. De- definitely now something that Elon Musk would come up with of like, oh, what what if we just made uh, water highways? You know, like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and so like yeah, there's definitely a lot there, like where he he is hinting at stuff, but not necessarily like throughout a lot of the game, he's not necessarily like deeply exploring that. But there is a very clear through line of like frustration with like Japan's national policy of like we don't have a we don't have a standing army, we have a, a self defense force, right? And how like he's exploring a lot of the dynamics between the U.S. and like Japan in a way that like was was not a thing that you saw a lot of then of like a games wading into geopolitics outside of like Hideo Kojima games and like stuff, stuff that now would be seen as, Oh, this game is so political. Right. And like this game is just, yeah, here's some guys thoughts, like kind of half baked in a lot of parts about, you know, Japanese American geopolitics. Yeah. I mean, I, I think also in some fucking, it has to be unintentional ways a little ahead of its time because like, uh, the prime minister of Japan, Kishida, right now, it's like one of his big things is like rebuilding an army over there or something. So it's like it did come around where it's like, well, that's kind of what I guess Suda said he wanted in a way. Like it almost feels like a game examining like whether or not, I don't know, let me know if I'm out of pocket here. If Japan has an inferiority complex on the world scale, because it's like um, there's this idea that America was protecting Japan or rebuilding after the war. And then America, like the idea of the game is like America decides to stop that. And then Japan has no way to defend itself as a nation. And it's almost like this game feels like in some small ways, I don't think this is the broad conceit of the story, but like Suda being like, we're fucked up. We're too weak, which I don't know. I don't necessarily like any country exploring that because it feels like there's definitely like, yeah, a a nationalist uh, kind of sentiment to that, that, that. You know, I'm not versed in Japanese politics, but it definitely feels like there. I have heard kind of some strain of that being very hyper conservative and like, uh, mm-hmm. very like not super great when people are like, yeah, let's let's kind of defend our own turf and like at the cost of like you know kicking out uh, outsiders and stuff. And but like this this game is like wrestling with that, and I don't know that it always comes out like with a strong sentiment, but it feels like the fact that the game is even approaching that I think is is like w- like 
one of its more rotten in a way aspects of just like we're gonna we're gonna deal with quote-unquote real shit and also like uh, the subtext of it is rotten where maybe suda has i don't want to say the dude's a nationalist but like you just said surreal like there is like little undercurrents of like these nationalist ideas that have been adopted over the last few decades about like how we need to rebuild japan it's like this like military megaforce that i think uh does not have great intentions in a lot of cases, the same way like dudes in America that are like, we'll put a boot up your ass right. are also like awful fucking people. Yeah. You know? So it's like, it's a little weird in that respect. And, and it's kind of struggling with that because it, there's like, yes, like the nationalist strain of like, you know, we are weak and we, in, we need to implement fascist, uh, you know, ideology to be strong is like definitely like not super great. But then there's also like when they hint at like, yeah, America's a little bit imperialist. It's like, yeah, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and just the the central conceit of the game, which is that, like, in order to maintain a... And honestly, Suriel, I would love for you to do just, like, some place setting in the story after I say this, because it would, it would be very helpful for mm-hmm. me. But essentially, like... To maintain this terrorism-free world, what you need is just an elite force of assassins who can go anywhere and kill anyone with impunity. You know, that, yeah. that what you're playing as is just just like a vigilante force that is funded right. by the government, question mark? That is just like, you know, it, it it's essentially the, the question that every, like, critical superhero story asks of just, like, is this good that we just have these people who, like, are so powerful they essentially can't be controlled and we just rely on them basically having good intentions and so we let them go and kill, like, hundreds of whatever? <laughs> well, and to that point, Jacob... They say they end terrorism, but they don't, right? Because yeah. the killer smiles come. Yeah, they haven't. They have which themselves, yeah. are a terrorist group, which fills forward thinking in and of itself. Because it's like, if America did such a good job in a post nine eleven world of ending terrorism, why am I f- afraid to go in crowds in America these yeah. days? You know, it's like we we have a we. I would argue a a. a terrifying terrorist problem in America right now. So it's like if the game is even wrestling with that idea. It's like. These structures don't actually end terrorism beyond, like, I don't know, the surface level view of it. Where, the, yeah, there's definitely, like, the deterrence being worse than the threat, right? Because it's, like, yeah. you think about, like, oh, 9-11 was, a, like, an like a awful kind of one-off event. But, like, right. all the things that we did we did to deal with it, things like, you know, security theater and, like, the the kind of ramping up of, like, you know, gun uh, guns in America. This definitely feels like uh, that was an unfortunate side effect of how we tried to deal with that event. And like here, it's mm-hmm. just like yeah, everything is okay as long as we as long as we use the like autonomous uh, assassins to make sure we kill the like the the like the zombie like enemies that are have cropped up because of what we've done, like of of us trying to uh, tamp down on terrorists, right? And then like also, no yeah. one gets to fly, and and all TV stations are basically like propaganda for the state at this point. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like. That I, I like the idea that you are viewing this kind of geopolitical story between Japan and, and America as like the tools that they use to basically kill each other because like all of your contracts mm-hmm. are from a character named Christopher Mills who's kind of like an, an agent that's like hey we're like Japan is kind of on the slide trying to recruit you to make sure that it it is successful because like the whole point is that you see like these missiles fire 
um, and they don't know where they they're coming from because one of the things they that they did to have world peace is they fired all of the like the nukes and in, like ICBMs at each other to basically like create a fireworks show. Uh, yeah, they just they just so exploded sick. all yeah. of them in the air. <laughs> it's so and sick. then like the, well what are these missiles and like the 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 kind of conceit of sunset like the second level of the game is that okay well all these missiles are heading to japan and so is america going to deploy the fireworks like the basically the intercepting missiles to secure japan and like the fact that that's even a question of like why wouldn't you do that um is definitely like this very cynical take on on like w- their relationship right of just like there is a fear in this game of like Japan kind of subsuming itself to kind of the larger one world government, which is basically what this is doing of like, oh, we, the, the United Nations is kind of like this funnel for a lot of conspiratorial thinking of like, oh, it's like, you know, the the globalist agenda, right, of just like everyone's going to be subsumed into like one thing, one world theory kind of thing. Uh, and like the fact that it, it's like simultaneously do like touching on all of these things, but then not necessarily like saying like here's my final verdict on this thing and it's kind of it's a very messy game in a lot of ways for sure i think two things that stand out from this conversation is one this being uh a a just like explicit attempt to break the america break into the american market for grasshopper you know this game was made with the american audience in mind makes the story almost like all the more ballsy yeah. <laughs> You know? No, it's it's insane to be like this is our yeah. big international push. What is the story? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's about how globalism might be bad. Actually, trying to trying to make things that appeal to everyone simultaneously isn't going to work. I think one thing that's interesting is that we're talking a lot about like what is effectively background noise in a lot of this game, right? Because it's like there is all this stuff yeah. you can read into it, but it's like the first level of this game is just you kind of going into a like nondescript like multi-purpose facility. And killing an anime angel. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. I think, though, this is like reading interviews that Suda's given over the past almost 20 years about this game. From the, the early days to even now, that's so refreshing. Is when people ask him about the story, he is quick to be like, yeah, it's a political story. Like, these are the ideas I was wanting to explore. Like, he, he will still unpack that and not try to, like, hide behind it, you know, the way some games do. Um, that I found like really refreshing reading interviews where he's like, look, these were, this is what was going on. This is what I want to explore. The game was political as hell, even if maybe not the most coherent or well thought out. Yeah. He, I'm adding, I'm adding sure. that last part. He didn't say that, but, um, I think that's like really refreshing in some of the things he said about the game after yeah. release. And th- that feels like it would be controversial now for someone to say explicitly. Yeah. yeah. No, like for, for like, I think indie developers are probably a little kind of have more leeway to do that but the idea of like you know i i remember when like neil Druckmann made his quote about like oh this is a game about you know like uh hate and like uh my kind of background as as being israeli and kind of how i felt about uh, you know seeing a, a depiction of someone being executed and how that affected mm-hmm. me and like that was a big statement that a lot of people took a lot of like umbrage with and stuff and but like this is also one of those things i don't know if you guys are familiar with the like the old suda meme where mm-hmm. it's like the, uh, there is a tweet, I, I forget who made it, where they're like, I miss the old, because this, this was riffing on a Kanye song, um, right. where it's like, I miss the old Suda, the Flower, Sun, and Rain Suda, the Killer 7 Suda, and it's like, th- this is exactly 
what that person meant because you you think about mm. Suda now he's very tame compared to this stuff which is like super like rotten in you know to use <laughs> to use your term uh whereas now yeah. you think about like No More Heroes 3 the last game he came out it's like oh this is this is just a bunch of cool stuff that I like put together in an interesting way but it's like what is this saying about American society there's not a, lo- a lot of it there and so you can kind of see these strains of like Early on, he was really like red hot in terms of what, the stuff he wanted to cover, and now there's definitely the strain of like he's kind of tempered since then. I like the line where the guy talks about dudes that jack up four <laughs> times a day. That's such a good line. It's such an evocative moment in the game. the The final level I think we should talk about before we close out because it is like even though I found it the most mechanically annoying because of those big giant motherfuckers. I think it is one of it is the most interesting level, especially from a Japanese lens, taking on like small town America and kind of like the corporatization thereof is like really interesting. And I think he kind of nails it in a lot of respects. I I was just going to say, I mean, structurally, I think it's so interesting because it feels like, you know, we talked about a little there's so much of this game that had to be cut out. This feels more complete mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. in that like there are like three times yeah. as many cutscenes in this level as any of the other ones that we played thus far and yeah. they are all really cool it, like this game isn't like half-assing you know yeah. the cutscenes when they do them it's like they are interestingly directed they've got this crazy art style they have really weird vo- vocal performances which i love but it's like yeah there is so much this one feels very just like self-contained. Standalone, where it's like, yeah. Here's the whole story. Yeah, because like this, this is this benefits a lot from basically being a break from the main plotline. Because the main plotline is like you're trying to figure out like who has it, like you're trying to basically off members of like the of like the opposing political party from the one who hired you. Um, but like this one is just like this guy, this cult leader in Texas is calling you out effectively to come kill him. And like he had, he tells you like, "Hey, I have I have the power of prediction, and like I have used the, like um, the Yakumo." You later learn, which is like this, almost like um, what's it called? Like the thing where you manifest your own destiny, and you can kind of see it. For, it's like this instructional document that will like you know that empowers people almost supernaturally to do whatever they want. Uh, and so he gets a hold of it as a as a mailman in the like the U.S. post office, and he comes to take over this town. And so he's at kind of at the end of his rope. You you eventually learn, and he tells you like, "Hey, come kill me." And that that is a taunt basically. But then you realize it's like him say, realizing that you're the only people who are going to be able to kill him. Um, so you kind of this this one off level. You can maybe basically if you want to show someone Killer Seven, you can start them here. Or the first level, I think, I think that game, that level is also pretty self-contained. And just say, like, this is what Killer7 is, and have a self-contained experience that I think is, is like, really well done, you know, in a lot of cases. And, like, just the line, the line where he's like, oh, he had a Texas Bronco shirt on, and the only people who would wear a Texas Bronco shirt live in Texas, right? <laughs> Hell Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I thought it was kind of wild. Like you you get the ch- and you, you don't really get this in at least the first two levels. Like these kind of extended cutscenes with just kind of normal people. normal Randos. people in the yeah. town that are offering ideas. On his name is Al- Andre Almeida. Yeah, Almeida. which is yeah. a, a, an insane name for a man who's just in d- deep South Texas. But like they're they're offering ideas on the way he's kind of like set up. Oh, what is his company? First Life is the name of it, yeah, which is like, life. you can almost see it. I don't think, they're, they're like a, 
They're a magazine production company? It's very unclear what they're doing. It's it's like a mold, it's a conglomerate that I think has specializes in medicine because then yeah. you find out that 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 the where all of those vaccines have come from is he keeps injecting himself with like the world's worst oh, diseases. Right, yeah. And 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 then creates uh vaccines and then he just happens to infect himself with the heaven smile virus. But then that's the one that can't be cured, and it turns him into a heaven smile. And he kind of knows he's becoming zombified. Yeah. And it says, like, well, I need the people who can kill heaven smiles to come take me out because I'm not, I can't cure this. It also it has the, the best visual gag in the game, maybe after the uh, shooting the anime girl with a Barrett. But um, there's, like, you're going this whole time, you're in this, like, small west town, and there's this just enormous, like, corporate skyscraper on the horizon. And you, like, walk up to that, and you finally get in, and they're, like, you can you can choose, like, two doors and go through either door, and then you just get behind it, and it's, like, an old west like cardboard facade and it just falls down well that's what i was kind of thinking about based on like i I think it's the guy in the that you you find a guy at some point i can't remember what store he's in uh but he kind of talks he's a mail carrier and he kind of talks about what happens and it it was in it based on like hearing that i was thinking about the ways it's like you know there are a lot of small towns in america where someone like tesla or amazon or whoever buys up a lot of land they they, the idea is they're going to give jobs or whatever and then whenever the money runs dry on that shit like they up and leave and they kind of leave these small towns in ruin right like all the good that may have come from that in a lot of cases you could also see in like gold towns or oil towns like it's just this thing that's happened throughout history and that seems to be what this level is getting at is like this guy who ostensibly was going to come set up this industry here give a bunch of jobs it has worked out maybe for some hasn't worked out for others but then you just see the whole facade of it fall and you get this idea that like this town has been left in ruins by this dude who like came preaching of this like utopia. He was going to give this pride Texas town of 500 people. And that was like a really fascinating and like um, prescient thoughts yeah. on America from like a guy who does not live here. I was like, which well, like you don't have to live here to be able to write like very forward thinking and prescient things. But I was like, I feel like he's kind of fucking nailing this like kind of like specific part of our country right now. Well, here, let me ask you, let me ask you another question about that, which is that I was struck by the I could not decide if it was intentional or not racialization where sure where like you're you're in this like small Texas town and Almeida, the you know, the main guy is like black. And and before I met or before you meet him in it. You're hearing all these people say things like, like, I don't know why he got to be the guy, you know, kind of like resentful of him succeeding, which in the game makes sense because he did this bizarre, like, you know, he kind of used magic to do it. But also it is you are essentially listening to like a bunch of like white small town southerners talk about how they like resent this black guy for for having a big business. But also, we are to understand that, like, the business is bad. Like, yeah. it's, like, hurting things. And so, and honestly, it's just, like, I I don't think there are a lot of uh, Japanese games that have sure. 
accurately done American racial politics. I don't think there are a lot of American games that have accurately done American racial politics. And so it's like, I was like, is this, was this a choice or did this just like happen? Or, you know, like, is there, is there intentionality here? Well, also like when you start the level as Garcia and the first line you hear is an old white guy going, we don't see a lot of black people around here. And then not yeah, yeah. very long later, uh, an insane choice for this script is uh, Iwazaru, who is this, like, gimp guy that's just around explaining the story and the game kind to you at all times, uh, says, I hate Afros. They disgust me. He sure does say that. And I was like, yeah. you could have I... cut that. You didn't need that line. Yeah, and it's, like, it's very much, like... I think it is messy, but it's almost it's like the opposite of ambiguous, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like it's it's kind of just throwing it, everything it can at a wall and seeing what sticks. And so you get this overlapping, like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, like racial tension here, and it's I don't think it's an accident that the way you kill Omeda is by shooting his afro, yeah, like that, and that becomes his main weak point, right? Um, and then like that mixed with the like the whole like pharmaceutical industry and like you know savior syndrome and stuff and like all these things are overlapping you're not sure like where like what am i supposed to think about any of this it's almost it's just lobbing ideas constantly at you you know it's like well it's like okay well the us has like done really awful medical malpractice mm. on like black people and so like having all the vaccines come from, like, a black guy injecting himself with diseases is interesting, but it's also, it's just like, is it just kind of racist? You know, yeah. that his weak yeah. point is his afro? It's it's really one of those, just like, how much credit should I be giving this versus not? I think for as, like, strong as I personally found, strong and complete in the ideas of, like, the industry stuff here, I found that this game had to say, I think the racial politics of it are probably dumb and messy. <laughs> you know, it's like these these two things are not mutually exclusive in the cloud man level here. Yeah, to totally. Like, and, and I, but I think that as, like, art goes, I think it is more interesting if maybe, like, less, uh, I guess kind of acceptable to do stuff like this where it's just like it's messy and i think this is what everyone tries to avoid when they're like oh yeah our game's not political we don't want to wade into that like there's a lot of tension around yeah. that yeah it's like in the star wars the empire now they're all super diverse so like there's no commentary <laughs> yeah, yeah. at all right there, there's like this hesitance among like you know the bigger corporate the bigger the corporation the more hesitant they are etc but like there is this like very strong like well we don't want to say anything but we have ideas and like this is just like here are all of my ideas Ideas, yeah. and they're messy as hell uh and it's like not always in a good way but it's like i'm i'm more interested in seeing this kind of stuff than i am for like like you know the, whatever call of duty believes its version of geopolitics right. is where it's just like both we we want to enforce the status quo but we also have no statement to make please don't ever think that we have aligned ourselves in any that we have any opinions right yeah i mean i think to that point even though there are certainly parts of this game's story that make me bristle a bit we'll see mm -hmm. for sure we'll see where if they land in the second half of this game i think it's already infinitely more interesting to think about thematically than like you said like a call of duty which to be fair i enjoy thinking about we did a whole season about it and i had tons mm -hmm. of thoughts but I, I find myself thinking about this more in my off time than a lot of other games that want to like for sure yeah. posture and, and like the one similarity between this and call of duty which i don't think there are a ton but like the idea that like the stuff that they kind of just say without intending to is more is much more interesting than the stuff that they're explicitly mm -hmm. trying to talk about right yeah uh 
so like yeah the, the, this like i feel like the, if nothing else among the many things i like about this game it's just it's like just just shoot your shot like say what you want and don't feel so afraid of like you know people like you know kind of uh trying to like politicize everything yep. um but it, it's like a good example of just like why i think it's more interesting when games actually make statements even if i don't agree with them right yeah now all this said i think we've had some great conversations here about the themes of this game and what suda maybe was thinking about thank god no one asked me to explain what's actually happening in the game because (laughs) i barely certain beyond like some missiles are going towards japan right now i'm not even really sure who the killer seven is all that stuff is beyond me right now I I cannot wait to finish this game and then I looked on uh, gamefacts.com and there is one of those like 120 page plot breakdowns that I'm like oh I can't Great. wait to fucking dig yeah. into that shit. Yeah, there's yeah. also the book that I'm I'm waiting to read the rest of cuz it seems like it goes just like level by level like here's Suda saying what he was trying to do. Yeah, and, and like uh, like as much as I like this game it's like yeah you don't necessarily need to understand the story just to get the vibes out of it even though i find the the like the way the the game is messy like really interesting yeah. like the things you are doing in the game i think are just like on a you know on a practical level just really cool like the you know killing yeah. the angel and like here's two politicians brains being exposed as they like one corrects the other's tie or like i think like the boss fights in this game are like super interesting because so many of them feel like these one-off ideas mm-hmm. where like what uh, you know, this boss fight against this assassin is just like, can you shoot them more times than they can shoot you oh. while you're standing still? <laughs> I forgot when, about when that. was that happening, one. I was like, what am I supposed to be doing? I was yeah. like, am I, am I hitting them in the right place? And then it was like, at the end, it just counts up how so many good. times each of you shot. So good. And he, before before that, Iwazaru tells you, hey, you got to shoot quick. So I switched to the dude with the two guns. And I yeah. put like I had like oh, a, more than a hundred shots over her or something. Yeah. It was crazy. And it's like the, there are a couple of boss fights that feel more like more traditional boss fights, and I think to me those are the least interesting ones. Mm. But something like Cloudman, where it's just like if this dude touches you, you die, and you're like in this like amalgam of ambulances like that are strung together, and you're wa- traveling between all of them and trying to like basically get behind this guy in like this weird quasi stealth sequence, and like that stuff that that definitely is like the rest of the game i'm definitely excited to see like what you guys think of some of the later boss fights but it's i really like this game's commitment to just like we have a lot of cool ideas and everything mechanically is just kind of in service to all of that Um, i was gonna say i mean i it's like i knew i knew we would run long on this episode we're running a little long but just i just want to kind of say some moments that i thought were Mm -hmm. so wild uh and and hear y'all's version there's that mahjong game that the guys mm-hmm. are playing where at the end they all just shoot each other <laughs> so good yeah and it, it's so funny that, like that they're supposed to be the people negotiating like hey are we gonna like save japan and it's like two americans and two japanese and they're like they're playing a game of mahjong and they all just decide like fuck it we'll just all like we'll all just die here <laughs> yeah. and that's like a very like cynicism-esque uh or like uh circa 2005 kind of thing where it's like what if a mexican shootout just like ended with everyone dead yeah yeah and and then there is the i mean it it, it feels almost you know when like you hear stories about people watching akira as they were when they were a kid mm-hmm. where they were like oh this is like a cool movie and then they reach the end and they're like oh my god what is happening <laughs> the the end the end of that olmeda uh level like first off there's the incredible thing where 
there's just like an endless number of like i don't know volunteers mm-hmm. or like cult members and he just pulls one guy out and he's like hey you won you get to drive this car and then he puts a guy in like a rocket car just in the middle of the desert and it takes off and he basically basically explains like uh yeah his flesh is gonna like rip off his bones it's like going so fast he's just gonna like die in this car and then Omega becomes uh the akira thing essentially it's like he he turns into like a monster from the thing his head comes off and there's blood fucking spraying everywhere and he's it's what is happening surreal what's going on (laughs) it rains blood from a lacerated sky as well yeah and there yeah there's just a lot of like weird one-off moments like you know mask headbutting a bullet (laughs) Uh, or like yeah the fact that the boss fight against gene DePaul is like you as a uh, mask, you're supposed to shoot the ceilings uh, above this guy, but like you could feasibly like end that fight immediately if you if you know what to do, you can just shoot the thing right above him and kill him instantly. There's just a lot of like we're gonna do a gag with gameplay that it that that this game is very committed to. The boss fight against the two are they are they the UN guys, the guys who have their the top of their head blown off? They're they're like from the United Nations Party of Japan, so it's very confusing. But it's like right. it's a it's a Japanese party, uh, but it's like the two kind of heads of it um, that are kind of trying to yeah that you're trying to stop. And so like yeah, the- it, there's just I mean it's like this motif in the level of these kind of politicians who have been shot in the head and have the top of their head blown off, but they still to like talk and walk around and their like brain is visible. And your boss fight is against two of them who are throwing their brains at you and you have to shoot their brains and then you like mess up, you shoot one of the guy's tie to mess it up and then the other guy will turn and help him fix his tie and then you like shoot him in the brain in his head. It's just like when you put into words what you're doing. It is just so absurd. Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. I'll tell you. Yeah, what. and you can talk about like you know whatever the symbolism of any individual moment might be, and try to like interpret like what is the what does any of this mean? But there's just yeah, it, it's like it, it's almost like the 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 uh, Simpsons thing of like burns his veins, like the visualization of like all of the viruses trying to squeeze through his veins, and how like <laughs> oh I, I have all of the diseases, and therefore I'm I am cured of all of them. It's almost like it's almost pointless to try to interpret any of it because there's just so many like just ideas here, and they're all super messy. Uh, but like on a moment to moment basis, it's just like, I can't just like, what is the context for any individual screenshot of this game? It's just hard to like really pin down to someone who hasn't played it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, look, I think unless any of y'all have anything that you were dying to say about this, uh, that'll bring us to the close of this episode about killer seven. Mm. Our first, half. hold on. Let yes. me check my notes here. I have y'all MFs ever heard of nine 11. <laughs> In quotes. Oh wait, no we didn't talk about Travis. Oh yeah, that's true. What's up with him? He, uh, I well, it's hard to know because I know what like the the because he has he serves somewhat of an important role. But I do want to say that in the first mission, they say like he is like one of the first people you kill. Right. Yeah, yes. like thirty uh, years ago. Yeah. Uh. So he's like, yeah, he's kind of one of those people who one of the many people as you're walking around the game, you you hear from ghosts and stuff, and you you will get confirmed that those are ghosts because. Uh, I think her name is Usagi or Kisagi. Uh, after you kill her in the mm-hmm. previous mission, she comes back as a ghost in the third mission. Um, and so they're just kind of like, here's what I think about geopolitics and America versus Japan. But also, I'm wearing a shirt that says like sexual or like just one of a number of tank tops. He's like, he's like, 
Frank in 30 Rock, who has just the different hat that says, like, horny every day. Like, it <laughs> yeah. his, his just shirt just says, like, a random word. Yeah, and it's, like, there's the one where, like, it's so funny how much this serves a design purpose of, like, there's the, the when you counter him in the gas station, and his shirt says hustle, and he's just, like, thrusting, and, like, it's to get you to remember the word hustle because it's a password. Yeah. Right. But it's just, like, they just get to have this moment of, like... I'm just I'm just thrusting and like, hey, by the way, the word on my shirt, the um, yeah, the word on my shirt is important. Oh, we also didn't talk about the the decapitated head that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Susie. Yeah. Was OK. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. The victim of sexual abuse who then went and became a serial killer. Yeah. Which like I recently watched Old lies. Boy and that feels like directly pulled from, yeah, the Park Chan book. Uh uh over a, of like here's here, so. here's this one plot line of this strange character yeah. that yeah goes on a killing spree and then now she's just a disembodied head that speaks with emojis i i wrote uh i wrote down the head's line these baby boomers don't know right from wrong <laughs> <laughs> which suit aren't you a baby boomer <laughs> i think suit is older than my dad you are yeah. a baby boomer um Okay, well, we we have so much still to talk about with Killer7. I cannot wait to finish this game. Uh, Surreal, is there anything you want to plug right now? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. I have a YouTube channel where I do, I do essays. You can just Google my name on YouTube, uh, Surreal Vasquez. I'm, I'm working on another one, but it's kind of a long ways away just because I, I noodle at it kind of on the weekends, more or less. Uh, I also have a weekly podcast where I talk about The Legend of Zelda, Um basically playing through Tears of the Kingdom as slowly as possible, kind of exploring every nook and cranny of it, and also playing another Zelda game. Right now we're playing Spirit Tracks, everyone's favorite Zelda game. Uh, so that that goes up. It's called uh, Every Week I'm in Tears, and you can just find that on whatever podcast app uh, you've got. So that that's what I'm up to. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it is yeah, thanks uh, for having me. a pleasure to have an expert on because i think uh <laughs> blake and i look we have lots of thoughts about this game but very little concrete information <laughs> sure it's yeah th- that's that's everyone and i'm i'm really glad that you guys are into the game because i think when i pitched it i definitely made it with the risk of like what if this is just the most bummer season of this podcast that i'm responsible nah, for dude, the one <laughs> i'm so into it i'm a little worried about flower sun and rain yeah yeah that's it's, the pain point i think that's definitely like in a lot of ways it's more interesting but like less fun (laughs) like just directly to play that is a game that is a game to be fair about its tedium in a lot of ways but uh that doesn't make the tedium any better but that's how i would describe this podcast (laughs) i would say in a lot of respects this podcast is about tedious games (laughs) yeah like so i I, yeah when you guys started sending me texts about like i'm really into this game i was like okay good (laughs) like this will be like a good conversation and i don't have to feel like i i guilted you into playing something you're not super into so yeah i'm glad you only we'll only have ourselves to blame if we don't like flower sun and rain but you know what wouldn't be the first time we hated a game on this podcast (laughs) that's right uh and until next time uh my name is jacob geller For Blake Hester, I just have to say, you're fucked!